So, a couple of weeks ago, I was at the Souk Potholes with some people I didn't really know that well. One of them had a guitar and was plucking away, not doing an amazing job by any means, and I was just humming along to the Weezer song he was playing. And he asked me to step it up and sing along. I don't know if it's just me, or if it's because I'm shy, but it seemed like a big ask. I only sing when nobody else is home, you know, in my bedroom or the shower. Maybe at karaoke to friends with over five years of friendship experience, you know, enough to hear my rough falsetto over Les Mis. For me, it's hard to imagine just singing casually to strangers. You're listening to All Access on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, broadcasting from the Wasanich and Songhees territories of the Sanchofen and Lekwungen-speaking peoples, whose relationship with the land continues to this day. On this episode, we're looking at open mics. What does it take to perform at one? What makes some mics great and others suck? Why would you ever want to do that again? What gives this guy, the guitar player, the confidence to play in front of all these people? One of my friends, he's a comedian who's had a couple TV spots, performed in theaters for more than 700 people, as well as shows for like three drunk people at a shabby bar. Seemed like the right person to ask. So I called him. Hello? Hey, Alistair? Hey, what's up? When, when people hear you're a comedian, do they ever like ask you to tell a joke just off the cuff? Oh yeah, all the time. Do you? Uh... No, when people people usually be like, "Oh, you're a comedian. Uh, what's a joke?" You know, and I mean, I used to like actually when I did an interview for Victoria Buzz, uh-huh. they asked me to do a joke, and I was very new at the time, so I did a joke, and uh, that was I think the only time it's gone over well. Why do you think like it doesn't go over well? Or like, what about that? Do you think is like uncomfortable? Well, it's like. Uh, most of the time, it's just not a good, like, time for comedy, <laughs> you know? Like, whenever it is, like, you're just meeting someone for the first time or whatever, and it's like, you, you know, you can't tell a, a raunchy joke. You can't tell, like, um, a whole a whole story or something, which is what normally you do in stand-up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and most of the time, you have to have the control of the situation, so if they have the the control, then then it's just not going to be funny. Yeah, no, definitely that makes sense. It's something about like them like dictating the joke kind of takes the control out of your hands, and it's like yeah, yeah, and it's your expectation to make them laugh. It's kind of taken out of your hands. Totally, yeah. I'm kind of just realizing this as I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly why the jokes hardly ever work. Because you don't have the the power in the situation, you're not the one on stage. You know? Well, like in your, do you think in open mics and stuff? Do you think you have that power on stage? I think in open mics, that power is something that's like shifting over the course of the show because you have like pro comedians come in, and especially if they are like announced by the MC as a as a pro then they have that power kind of automatically and then they come on and they tell jokes and plus pros generally have really good stage presence. So they kind of command the room. Right. Um, and then other times you have people who are on stage and not only are their jokes not very good, but their stage presence is so kind of like meek mm. that it's, 
that people will be laughing like at them instead of like with them right. in which case the audience has the power and so well like you've clammed up at open mics before you said uh do you want to like tell me about like your kind of like first foray into comedy and like doing open mics sure yeah so uh yeah the first show i did was at uvic it wasn't an open mic it was uh through vice improv i think um mm-hmm. they put on a show and i just uh yeah, I just did my first five minutes, and it was strange and weird. And I did a bunch of one-liner jokes in a British accent. Like, and then my last joke was revealing that I wasn't actually British. <laughs> and uh, people were generally just confused more <laughs> more than anything. Yeah. But, uh, then the first kind of open mics I did were just like around around Victoria. The the ones I remember the best are. Um, the, the awful ones. Um, <laughs> there used to be this one on Sunday nights at a place called The Loft. Okay. Um, on Gorge Road, just like a rough part of town. Yeah. And it was usually just the comedians who were on the show, a couple of drunk people who happened to be at the bar and had no interest in the comedy. Yeah. And then, like, if you brought anybody. And, um, yeah, I, I had this um, set that I'd done at a show called Tinder Tales. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of just like a long story and at Tinder Tales people will laugh at anything because they, they're like prepared for stories and they like are excited for the premise of the show yeah. but at an open mic you need to have hard punchlines and this story just didn't really have any and it had a lot of big act outs including one where I like fell on the floor and so I did a whole set, including a part where I lie on the floor and like sit down and uh, no laughs, no laughs through. I it felt like half an hour on stage. It was probably only about five minutes. But, oh, man. Yeah. Well, how do you. That was very brutal. How do you like bounce back from that? Like, what do you feel after that? Do you just feel dejected or like. Yeah, no, totally. You feel just crushed and. um I think Pascal, my girlfriend, was there at the time, and we'd only been dating a little while. So I think that was the first time she saw me really just eat shit on stage. Just completely so, bomb. Yes, but I think um, she that she was uh, she kind of enjoys watching those sets more than the sets where I do well because then I am finally like. You know, the the worse you do, the more you vulnerable you feel, and so it actually kind of brings you closer together if you have someone you're comfortable with there. So, hmm. and that was the one positive you kind of take take away from it, I guess. But uh, just in terms of performing, when you bomb really hard, for me anyway, all you can think is like, I just gotta it's got to go better than this next time you know like you have to do it again to kind of get rid of all of those that that feeling and just like prove that you can do it again when you perform music it's your voice your choice of words chords tune even if you wear a costume or perform in character the ideas being broadcast from the stage are exclusively yours and losing your control over them and giving that to the audience can be a lot and also yeah i don't know my songs are kind of written in like a certain sense of humor and it's like, would they get it? Mm. Are my songs 
um, open enough to be able to like get got kind of thing? Or is it like more for me? I don't know. It's just like a lot of questions. It's like your first time you're putting something out into the open. I had never recorded anything and, you know, put it online. This is kind of my first entrance into like the public opinion. So I was just really nervous about how they would be taken. That's Andrew Hines. He's a producer for you in the ring. He tree plants in the summer, which is where I started just like writing songs because when you plant trees, you just have so much time to think about everything. So I would start like singing to myself a lot and writing lyrics. And then whichever one stuck, I just kind of came back and would write it on my phone. Um, and yeah, so I just kind of started writing these very like silly, goofy, like not too serious songs. And then I just kept writing them. And then like three September and like September through December, I just wrote maybe like nine or 10 of them. And then I showed them to my friends and my friends liked them. So I decided that like, yeah, the next logical step would be to go to an open mic and just see what it was like to perform in front of people who weren't my friends. I don't know. I think I'm pretty judgmental when it comes to music and I liked my music. So that was also a good sign. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't just play a song that I didn't like for the sake of playing it because that's kind of a nightmare to just play something that you're not very proud of. I don't think anyone does that. Like, why would you? Like, I didn't know how it would be received. I didn't know how comfortable I would feel. I don't know. It was almost kind of like, in my mind, I kind of built it up as this, like, rough draft. Like, this is a very rough performance. And it's more for me than it is for my friends. I want to see how I'm able to do it. And I feel like that's the case for most people. You know, people do open mic to kind of hone their skills and to get a taste of what it's like to be on stage. So I think of open mics as this kind of um, like a dress rehearsal where it's not opening night, but it is just you practicing in front of people to see what it would feel like. So Heinz scoped out a place he thought would work for his first open mic set. I chose the Fernwood Inn. It was all very spontaneous. I knew that I wanted to perform in front of people again. I don't know. I had been to the Fernwood before. It seemed like a cool place. And it wasn't just like, it wasn't like a rowdy bar like Logan's. It seemed more like a sit down place. So I feel like people would be paying more attention to me instead of just paying attention to their conversations or like their beverages. But yeah, that wasn't the case at all. So he was at the bar waiting to start. Yeah, I honestly didn't think about it a lot until he called my name. And then I was like, okay. And then I just kind of like swung into gear. Like I grabbed my instrument, went up to the stage, and then, and then yeah, he started like getting me set up. And I had forgotten, I never, I didn't really think about the setup part, like the actual amplification, like getting up there and then having to adjust all the microphones and then doing a really quick mini sound check. I had never done a sound check before. I was just like, what, what is what is this supposed to sound like? Does this sound good? Like I can't hear anything. And by now the dining room's like kind of full and like all the tables are being used. And I forgot that the Fernwood Inn also has food, which like also like I should have, like, done more research, but everyone's eating meals now, and I'm just, like, I'm, like, the piano singer, Mm. just, like, in the background. 
as like all these thoughts are running through my head, he's micing me up and I'm like playing chords. And I'm like, does that sound good to him? And he's like, give me a nice, like, oh yeah, yeah, that's fine. He's just so passive and doesn't really care. But I'm playing and I'm looking at him and he's like, good. Then I'm looking to my friend, my friend Kevin, who like is a musician and does this stuff all the time. And he's just like, looks so like fr- flustered and like frustrated. He's like, what? This is so half a. I'm like, oh, that's not a good sign. Um, and then, yeah, then he tells me I'm good. And I just, like, started playing. All right, this next song is called Blackberry Season. started playing it and just immediately felt wrong like immediately felt like this was a horrible mistake just because I the environment was all wrong like I'm playing and I'm singing and like I'm having a hard time hearing myself and like hearing like my instrument I don't know what it sounds like I'm just playing while I having all these you know uncertainties like run through my head and then you know I look up and like no one's watching you. In fact, people have their back to you because it's like a dining room and the tables are square. So not everyone is facing towards you. Everyone's facing different directions mm-hmm. and they're all talking so loud and they're all drinking and they're all having conversations. Yeah, it was a nightmare. I played three songs at the open mic and I was so nervous. Um. I lost feeling in my legs after the first song, and then I was too afraid to move for the other two songs, so I just stood very still. <laughs> and then after and then after I was done, I just collapsed onto a couch and was like, oh my god, I did it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then at one point, I'm just like so frustrated and so bored that, you know, a song ends and like you play like the final chord, but I just like kept strumming it for like five minutes. I was just like so annoyed and like almost like trying to like mess with the audience I was like take this like will anyone know like that? like yeah. hear this like C chord on repeat for the next two minutes and I just like kept doing it and like looking around and like no one noticed it was so weird and it just proved a point that like no one cared there were like these cool older kids who were organizing a lot of open mics um, and my friends and I started going to those and it was like supremely awkward you know we were all reading out of our journals and um and I I was playing stuff that I would you know probably like burned those journals (laughs) at some point that's Tanya they perform under the name Elder Sister Plum when they do music stuff there's some recordings that exist of one of those open mics that I played at and there's all just dishes clanking in the background and people talking and um, yeah, so yeah, that is actually how how I got started. Tanya's been doing music for a while, so they've played a wide variety of open mics. I think there's a certain style of music that that works really well with like the rowdier pubs and you know places like the the Hootenanny. The Hootenanny is a weekly open mic at Logan's Pub, every Sunday at 4. I played one time at the Hootenanny uh, back, like, the first time I was living in Victoria. 
and I didn't really get what it was. Um, and I had I love the Hoot Nanny, and I had a really uncomfortable experience because I didn't know that it was like. You know, I mean, it kind of has its own story similar to The Ledge, I think. Like, most people there know each other and know the music that people play, and there are these big drunken sing-alongs. But I went in and I played, like, really sad folk music, original folk music, and um, I think everyone else that played was playing covers that everyone knew and could sing along with. And um, so, yeah, I think, I definitely think different different venues... um, just have their own kind of environment that works well with different kinds of music. I had a lot of experiences where I really didn't feel good after performing to a room like that because I write incredibly personal, vulnerable music and I don't hear it as background music, even just just the way it sounds, not even considering what it's about. Um so I would feel pretty raw after performing if people if people weren't listening. Like uh, it would be harder for me to know what to do with like the feelings I was having. Yeah, I think it's fun to have music be a background thing sometimes, and um, to more like set a tone for an event where people are like hanging out and doing other things. Uh, but it's just a different experience of connecting to to people through music when they're really listening. But Tanya's open mic experience had what Heinz's lacked, an attentive, supportive community built around it. Yes, The Ledge. Um, The Ledge was a a hotel bar in downtown Victoria that got turned into a a gay bar. I'm pretty sure that was was what the intention was. Um, And it was just this, like, funny little place up some stairs... Yeah, I didn't really go. I didn't I didn't check it out. Like there was a lot of buzz around it. <clears throat> just because there aren't and well at that time and still now like weren't really many queer spaces. Um especially that weren't clubs. Victoria has tons of LGBTQ plus groups, meetings, and events every month put on by groups such as UVic Pride, QVIC, Victoria Pink Pages, the Island Lesbian Social, Snacks Cyclo Adventure Pals. Uh, and the Crush Dance Party at the VEC. But Vic only has one dedicated queer space, a nightclub on Broad Street called Paparazzi. It's fun, sure, but it's a nightclub. You can't sit down and have a conversation when you're surrounded by loud music, people trying to party, and drunk people unaware of the space they're inhabiting. The Ledge was able to fill that void. It was a quiet space where people could chat, drink if they chose to, and connect. It provided a much-needed alternative space in Victoria for the queer community, so the community around the ledge was already strong before the open mics started taking off, a close-knit group of supportive people bolstering other kindred spirits, the perfect environment for an open mic. I don't know who organized the first open mic, but um, I felt like words spread really quickly that there was going to be an open mic, and that was when I started going, um, and it just... I don't know if you can really like plan for this kind of thing, but it brought people from all these different communities. At the ledge, it was like, it was mostly acoustic guitars and vocals. But I remember one time this person coming through from Toronto who had, it was the coolest thing I've ever seen and I never understood what was happening. They had um, 
uh, like video game controller, like one of the kind of older ones with the knobbies and the buttons that you hold with both hands. And they were controlling music on their laptop with this thing, with this Nintendo kind of controller thing and and rapping and singing uh, to electronic music that they had created and and yeah that they were like controlling with this thing and i mean i don't remember anything else that happened that night like that, that was just so so cool and um that yeah i felt like it was that kind of space that people could c- come in and try out whatever they happened to be doing uh although no, no one ever really got particularly loud that i can remember <laughs> Um, but playing to a room that is really just really attentive, really like respectful for one thing, it feels respectful. But people are really experiencing your music, which is awesome. And I loved, I loved at at the open mics at the ledge. Like it would be a whole night. Like we people would continue hanging out, wait, like super long afterwards and I got to know people through them talking to me about my music and I was like oh wow you're like picking up on the lyrics in my songs that's so cool yeah I met I met so many people there and also there's so many people that I that I didn't meet it was this really cool gathering place um that still is like infamous as this queer space in Victoria because um I think because it was like a quiet space. Um, in terms of the open mics, it was amazing. Like there were always tons of people there and everyone was quiet and listening. Even though there was like really heavy drinking going on, that was my experience. <laughs> um, lots of heavy drinking going on on Monday nights, which is kind of amazing and hilarious to me, but it was still like the most attentive audience. Um, for every everyone who played, whether you were like someone who came every week and knew lots of people, or it was like your first time, you didn't know anyone, it was just a very welcoming place. Uh, in terms of having those kind of spaces, like within the queer community in Victoria now, I don't know why it doesn't exist. It's like a huge thing that's missing. But people are looking to fill that void and make a supportive and welcoming community for folks to get intimate, sharing their art and songs together. Um, I do identify as queer. Yeah, I am a queer woman and I have been a part of the community in Victoria um, since I moved here. And the community in Victoria is actually probably part of my inspiration because prior to living here, I didn't have a community of queer people in my life or even in my sphere. Um, And so... Having had that in Victoria um, really built that recognition of how important it was for me, even as an adult, to have queer people in my life and queer community around me. Um, and I just feel like they shouldn't, like the youth that I work with, haven't shouldn't have to wait until they're adults to experience that. 
That's Maddie Harbour, and she's... The coordinator of Outlet, which started as an LGBTQ2S plus youth group and turned into um, the Outlet Open Mics. Outlet originally started as a space for queer youth in Victoria to come hang out in a welcoming environment. We did lots of different activities. We tried it in a few different spaces. It was a response to the lack of um, programming and spaces for queer and trans youth in Victoria. Um, but some other youth groups started around the same time, some drop-in groups, um, and we started to um, dwindle in numbers. And so we started to think about what we could do that would be serving the community, serving that population of youth um, better. And what we ended up coming up with through some consultation with youth and other um, youth workers in town was outlet open mic. Open mics serve a purpose beyond giving new artists their first shots at performing. They help build a stronger sense of community. Um, I think that open mics offer a people a space to be in community in whatever way they choose, right? I think that lots of people have also come multiple times and never performed, um, but been able to be around their peers and community and um, make new connections and just know that they're in they're in community with people who are who are who are invested in the same things. And I think that our open mic is very specific obviously. Um, and so I think that that is like an even greater tool for community building because you know that when you show up that you're like surrounded by like queer and trans and allied folks, you know, um, versus like, I think sometimes generalized open mics. Um, I still think they're great community builders. I think that everyone who shows up to those is invested in music and creativity and expression. Um, but yeah, I think that this, the, specifics of this kind of open mic uh, just like elevates that a little bit more. I just think that um, having the opportunity to have a space where you feel comfortable and supported to share your work, share your voice, um, and where you get that feedback because that was also a really beautiful thing was watching their like watching people's peers and community members just really support people and really um, you know, cheer and encourage, um, you know, it was, there was so much positivity and so much positive feedback for folks, especially folks who are really nervous. So I think that what that does, hopefully what I hope that that does for many people is that when they leave outlet, even like the next day or that week or the month or, you know, on into their life, that even that moment where they received that positive feedback and their voice was supported and listened to and, um, you know, heard that they feel comfortable to do that again sometime, um, even if it's in a different situation. I think that when people feel heard and when people are told that their voices are important and that the things they have to say are worth listening to, um, in any context in their life, I think it can can trickle out in, into the rest of their life also. Um, and I also hope that it helps those youth build connections with each other so that um, moving forward into the future or now that they can come together to also like support each other, build things, um, you know, be the ones who are like doing the, th like running these things and organizing these things as we move forward. 
Tanya again. Although we would, this was also a nice aspect of like the community feel of it. Like if there were a lot of people there on uh, one week who wanted to play who hadn't played before, we would like create space and not play. So someone else would have a chance to. Um, but I got to try out so much music that way. Um, I guess that for that year, every new song that I wrote, I would have played for the first time at the ledge. Um which was just so awesome. And there were so many of the same people coming and listening every week as well. Um, at this point in my life, I have this wonderful connection to people from different pockets of the queer community who are like very like intimately familiar with my music from that time, which is a really special feeling. Um, and... Yeah, that it was such a stepping off point for a lot of people who hadn't even really played music before but started playing at that at the ledge at the open mic and or who met there and started playing together. <clears throat> and you could just see people developing as as artists. I think it was it just felt like such a unique space. It's different than going to like I know some people do go really consistently to some of the open mics at different pubs in Victoria now, um, like the Fernwood Inn and um, Irish Times, I think. Like there's places that have open mics um, and people love it and they go consistently. Um, but for myself, I don't think that that could offer me what I got from the ledge because it was a huge room full of en anyone who happened to be there. And the ledge felt like more of the sort of contained space. Heinz's open mic at the Fernwood Inn felt like a misstep for him for sure, but he continues to perform. He actually played at a house show this weekend in front of mainly friends and some strangers, a more contained space than the dining room at a bar. <laughs> so, Nicola? Yep. How are you? Pretty good. How are you, Silas? Not too bad. Uh, you went to Heinz's like, house show on Saturday, right? Yep, I did. Was that like an open mic kind of thing or what, what was it yeah so um heinz told me about it and was just like hey i'm playing this house show um i'll invite you to it on facebook and so i got an invitation and there was actually a set list already so okay there were set times set lists so it said that heinz known by his stage name hokey tukers i believe yeah that's it yeah um that he would be on at 9 p.m so I let him know that I would try and make it. And mm. then Saturday night rolled around and I got a message from Heinz around 8.55. I was at my house running late and he said, I won't be on until 10. So I said, cool. Perfect. <laughs> I'll be on time then. Um, and so, yeah, I uh, had like Google Maps, the location of this random house and it was near my house. So I just went over there with my partner and we walked up to it. There were a bunch of people out on the street. And when we just like approached, there kind of were people sitting on the porch and they parted ways so that we could just walk up and into nice. the house. And yeah, we just like walked right in. Was it a lot of people? Yeah, there was a lot of people kind of just hanging out. It seemed like um, a lot of friends, a lot of people who knew each other. Mm. Um, and then when we got through the front door, we could hear Heinz. And okay. so we rushed and we just like kind of rounded the corner and it opened up to like these two living rooms 
um, separated by like kind of a small doorway. And I could see Heinz through kind of set up at a stage in front of a bay window. And when I walked in, Heinz said, hey, into the mic. And everyone turned around. And so I waved and said, hey. <laughs> <laughs> And he uh, continued on with the set. So it was pretty sweet. Um, there were a lot of people kind of like coming and going, but okay. there was definitely an engaged group right up at the front near Heinz. Right. Um, and so I stood at the back and kind of just like watched what was going on um, and also enjoyed Heinz's set. Pretty cool music. Yeah, yeah. Um, really hard on the ukulele, <laughs> which was pretty sweet. Um, but yeah, we were just kind of standing around um, a lot of people were just kind of like coming through that front door and then either turning to the right to go hear some music or turning to the left to go get some beer from the keg that was in the kitchen. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and it was all like, they were all friends with each other. Like they, okay. Okay. But like the fact that they, everybody was friendly there that did seem to like have some kind of like, I don't know the fact that he, that Heinz actually got to play a whole set and there was like engaged people engaged at the very front sounds very different from his uh, other experience at the Fernwood Inn. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did, even though it was like more of a party atmosphere, it was like people engaged with what was going on then. Yeah, totally. I think everyone who was in the area that like music could be directly heard and seen, um, they were all like engaged and listening really nicely. And people were, Heinz was like talking to the crowd, the crowd was talking back. Um, I know Heinz had mentioned improving the banter, and I think Heinz had his banter uh, on point (laughs) for the set. Very good. Um, But yeah, I think people were like having a good time, like appreciating some music in a really comfy setting. Um, I was appreciating the ambiance of the whole space. There was like beautiful art up on the walls. Was it, um, did you catch any other sets besides Heinz? Uh, no. So after the set, Heinz came up and asked if we'd be sticking around, but we said we would just, you know, uh, breeze out <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and go sleep. Um, but yeah, it was pretty nice. It was like, you know, maybe a 30 minute set that we were able to catch. Oh yeah. And it was quite enjoyable. That's a lot more than like an open mic can offer because mm-hmm. that's, that is like a full set. That's like your full repertoire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Totally. Heinz even pulled out a cover. So I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard, yeah, I heard some of it. We have, we have some recordings of it. So you, you like, we, we like work with Heinz, mm-hmm. volunteer with Heinz. Um, was it weird seeing him perform, like kind of seeing him in a more vulnerable light? Uh, no, actually. I think like Heinz is a pretty... Heinz, as I know him, is a very outgoing and investigative person. So mm-hmm. his role on the podcast has often been kind of like putting himself out there and digging really deep into these stories. Yeah, He was always far more persistent than I was at emailing people and trying to make sure that they like were um available for the podcast so i really didn't see heinz in any different way from being someone who would put himself out there okay um so it really fit and i was glad too having heard heinz's story about the fernwood in open mic yeah to see like such a positive experience otherwise um because i think like music is really cool it's like a really important way for people to share and express themselves Mm -hmm. um 
and you know creating is something that I don't personally do right now but I really see as valuable from other people and something I envy the ability for people to do um so it made me really sad hearing Hines say he had all this like content and music that he wasn't going to share with anyone outside of like his close group anymore yeah after that you know kind of devastating experience um yeah, and I think, like, a big part of that is just, like, the kind of feeling that this house show had versus what that open mic seemed to feel like. Um, Heinz was able to just kind of, like, focus on those friends who he did know, I think. Whereas, like, at the Fernwood, he also had friends there, but the whole, like, rest of the situation imposed itself so much that that couldn't be, like, what was focused on to make it comfortable. Whereas I feel like this whole situation was just like really conducive to an enjoyable experience. Like people who he didn't know were equivalently engaged and like, you know, involved in listening. And I think that was really cool. Yeah. I mean, and that's what open mics are really. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, yeah, I guess it is. That is like the ideal open mic space when like you, like people are really listening to you and it's not just playing to a bar, but I feel like, you know, that is good practice. Like, like our other guests said, uh, it is good practice to be able to just play to a bar and like everybody kind of ignore you because it gives you that like practice of performing mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, and I think that like performing in itself is something that like like I've gone to shows of like huge big artists and like there are people in the crowd on their phone, there are people in the crowd like turned away from the stage, and if that like got to you at any stage in your career, I'm sure that would be, like, detrimental to the quality of what you played. Yeah. But it's hard to get over that. Like, you're sharing, and especially when it's, like, more vulnerable, like, lyrics or things that are, like, from your heart. Yeah. Well, like, even just, like, the, like, the tune of the song is, like, and I, like, your, your exclusive idea, basically, and, like, sharing that with people can be, it can be tough, because people might think it sounds like garbage, and they don't want to hear it. And you don't, you don't want to put yourself on a pedestal like that, but... I guess that's why people do house shows because it it kind of lets them perform to a group of people they already know, but also kind of let in some people from the outside. So it's like a kind of like a safer performance place than just a random open mic somewhere. Yeah. And I feel like it's also the like actual physical environment, like beyond the people who are there. It's like this is maybe a comfortable home versus like some, I don't know, sterile coffee shop or some loud bar. Yeah. The variables are a bit more controlled. Yeah. Follow me through this transition a bit. Okay. Well, you're the producer for All Access, right? Yep. And this is the season finale. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So I think, I mean, we were talking about open mics and how valuable they are to performers. Do you have like a list of any that we can, you know, let the listeners know about in case they want to perform? Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, I'll I'll leave you to that. If you're a new artist wanting to perform for people, you're going to have to play at a few open mics. Luckily, we've concocted a list of different open mics all around Victoria that you can go check out. On Monday nights, there's a general open mic at the Mint and Felicita's Campus Pub, while the Sult Pierogi Bar has a comedy open mic that night. Uh, Every second Tuesday, you can find an all-ages open mic at the Crow's Restaurant out in the Gorge. Um, But other than that, there's an acoustic open mic at Axe and Barrel Brewing Company in Langford, uh, a general open mic at McRae's, an acoustic no-mic, no-PA open mic at Gorgeous Coffee, and the hour-long Black Sheep Comedy open mic for an hour at 8 p.m. at Logan's Pub. Every third Wednesday of the month, there's an open mic at the Hillside Coffee and Tea Cafe. And the first and third Wednesday of every month have a main stage open mic at Logan's. On Thursday, there's an open mic at Spiral Cafe in Vic West, uh, an open mic at the Fernwood Inn, and an open jam at the Loft. And finally, on Sunday, there's the Hootenanny at Logan's from 4.30 to 8.30, Otherwise, there's open mic nights at the 17 Mile House, uh, Christie's Carriage House Pub, and a blues jam at the V Lounge. This episode of All Access was produced by Nicola Watts with help from me, Silas Cerne, Andrew Hines, Coco Nielsen, Char Johnston-Carter. Thank you to all of our guests, Alistair Ogden, Andrew Hines, Tanya Semple, Maddie Harbour, and Nicola Watts. This program would not be possible without the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Student Award and Financial Aid Work-Study Program. If you like this episode, there are seven other episodes for you to check out in the podcast feed. So subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. If you love this episode about open mics, check out All Access's episode that gives you an inside look at some obscure venues in Victoria. It's called Natural Edgelord. Hey, give me your ear. Let's, uh, let's pull back the curtain for a minute and check out behind the scenes of CFPB's podcasts. Hi, my name's Amanda, and I just started to volunteer with CFUV in my last final year of UVic. Um, I definitely wish I started earlier and was able to be a part of more, um, however, c'est la vie. Um, So what I really enjoyed about CFUV and being a part of radio production um, is just, just the way that radio and podcasts specifically kind of create and... Um, find and carve out these narratives that are around us all the time and put them into consumable little packages that we can take with us and that filter into our everyday life. Because I think there's so much of story and narratives all around us that can make huge impacts, are highly educational, kind of tug at your emotions or your interests. Um, My 
particular piece of podcast work was I was working more interviewing people. And I really enjoyed that side of things because hearing people tell their stories and hearing them um, talk about their passions really was just fascinating. And every single time I got to do it, it was so interesting and engaging and eye-opening and it felt like when you got in a room with somebody and put this mic on and headphones and hearing your voice recorded back over it it like makes it something makes people's stories into something more than like what they were um because they're having a chance to put it into a something bigger um yeah it's just it's a really neat thing to be a part of cool.